Good morning, Dr. Philip George. Good morning. Good morning, Belle. Good morning. How are you this week? I'm good. Thanks. Someone got a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to this first article first. This is from The Star. And it talks about mental health in the workplace and how it's saved by bots and apps. Where mental health is concerned, Doctor, what is the significance of speaking to an AI versus speaking to a real person like a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Like yourself. <laughs> like myself, yeah. Worldwide, actually, mental health issues have risen way above what we've seen in previous years. And it's understandable. I mean, this new normal we have to get used to, having to work from home, like we're doing right now, the risk of infection, movement restriction, social isolation, and the high degree of uncertainty. I mean, all of this has increased numbers. Even in my practice, uh, the numbers have definitely increased. Thus, face-to-face may not be able to actually cope with this demand. And alternative approaches are necessary. Actually, AI has been already introduced some time ago, but it's taken a different level now because, you know, it's it's necessary. In fact, uh, meta- a recent meta-analysis by the eClinical Medicine Journal that looked at 17 studies found that electronically delivered cognitive behavior therapy uh, was as effective as face-to-face therapy at reducing depression really? symptoms. Hmm. Yeah. And of course, it's much cheaper, you know. So yeah, I think younger people especially are more likely to embrace this mode of help-seeking. Uh, so yeah, the main significance, I think, is its accessibility. And also, but, I suppose yeah. AI is getting smarter, I suppose. Is it? Is that why? Well, I don't think it can be smarter than us. I mean, we're the ones who create AI. That's true. So, yes, there is the the boundary there because why do you think it's effective though doctor because usually people will say oh talk to someone mm-hmm. and you know at least you have that emotional connection with someone right but with an ai you cannot have that connection yeah but I, you know there's a lot of stigma and so it, it sort of breaks barriers in relation to stigma and you know breaks barriers about seeking mental health services it can be done anytime i mean you can get onto a app and access it any time of the day, 24 hours, you know, a day. And, you know, people distance, of course, you know, like most services, especially in Malaysia, mental health services are in the urban areas. And so people in the rural areas, are, you know, they find it really hard to access this. And of course, there's that limited insurance cover. I mean, in Malaysia, we're stuck with that, been like that for a long time. And now with lengthy wait times for appointments, I think all of this is actually making AI and, you know, apps uh, an option that people want to really consider. All right. This is a very interesting article. And I think JD would relate to this because <laughs> he believes in conspiracy theories. Yes. Um, and a lot of conspiracy theories have been come, have come out from this pandemic saying that, you know, the virus is mad. And made, you know, somebody put the virus somewhere. But why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Like, has it got to do with a mental health issue, doctor? Oh, so we're trying to diagnose JD here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, when an individual believes a conspiracy theory, by definition, they don't really know it's a conspiracy. Okay, so they they believe that it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all try to create an idea from, you know, patchy information, whether it's about a virus, unemployment or politics. So somebody who buys into a conspiracy theory thinks that they are in the process of actually understanding what's going on. 
because hmm. they've been given a proposed explanation. This is even more true in the case of theories that are based on, you know, uncertainty, like when we're faced with an unknown situation. I mean, everything about COVID is new for us. Yeah. And, you know, we'll be more likely to opt for that story that suits us, suits our personality types, perhaps. So, you know, people who have personality types that are a bit more pessimistic or a little bit more suspicious, they may veer more towards the conspiracy theory rather than the ones that are mainstream. Mm. It's much more like when seatbelts were first introduced as a legislation, there were those who continued not to use them, thinking there was a conspiracy to exert control. But then over time, it has become part of our lives. So same way with masks. I mean, it's maybe our new addition to apparel, you know? You, yeah. you may look better with a mask than you <laughs> So yeah, you, even if we take HIV, for example, there were a lot of numerous conspiracy theories that came up when HIV was first discovered. Mm. But they didn't have the feet that presently they, they have, you know, through social media, through all this information overload. You know, during the time when HIV was first discovered, they thought it was man-made and put there and to destroy, you know, people who are unworthy. But now we accept that HIV is a communicable viral disease and the need for lifestyle change to prevent it is essential. And we've made that move to adapt that, you know. So hopefully people with these conspiracy theories will slowly come around and say, well, okay, most of them won't say I was wrong. <laughs> well, Daddy has Phil, a question, yes. I, the thing is, in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in all conspiracies though because it's not like I don't believe in masks I do believe in masks and stuff like this yeah, it's some yeah. other stuff like it, yeah. so I I pick and choose but it's not a yeah. mental health issue right <laughs> no 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 it's just your personality type <laughs> this next article um, is about resilience training now Google has this wellness and resilience team and they've put together a series of digital clips called meet the moment and each video is about five or six minutes long focused on specific topic like sleep breathing parenting avoiding anxiety and it is to be shared with their employees in these stressful times mm. so doctor the question here is how do videos like this helps someone at the workplace cope with mental health issues like can watching a video just help you cope with your mental health issues i guess that's the question yeah well you know i think all employers should learn from google really yeah they i mean they seem to take know how to take care of their employees health holistically um and this has been a challenging year so employees you know having to take a pay cut or having to work from home and you know they just have a lot more on their plate, really. I recently did a course on Coursera. Mm. And I, you know, I don't mind sharing this because it's free and it's available for everyone. It's called uh, Resilience in a Time of Uncertainty. And it's by the University of Pennsylvania. It's got four modules, may take about a month, but I found it very insightful and beneficial. In fact, I recommend it to all my patients now. Uh, yeah, but Google created this digital clips called Meet the Moment, which is pretty similar to this, you know, online courses. And, you know, it's it's building your own mental health literacy and understanding. Mm. And uh, what they did was they created five or six minute long videos focusing on specific topics like sleep hygiene and breathing or parenting and avoiding anxiety. And it is taking from the fact that resilience is a skill that's built, you know, or practiced. And it makes us better aware of ourselves and help build good mental health skills. I mean, who taught you to brush your teeth? 
it must have been your parents or mm-hmm. you saw a little video or you know in school the dental team came and taught you mm-hmm. so we've neglected mental health for way too long and the effects are now being shown especially during this pandemic mm. we have waitlist in mental health services that lasts even a month so you know it's it's not a small little thing i think we need to work on prevention and building our mental health resilience so this is sort of like self learning on how we can heal ourselves and how we can have stronger mental health it's well it's not really something that people with mental illness would maybe benefit able to do as, yeah yeah people who may be facing stress so there's big difference between mental health and mental illness Okay. And mental health is what we go through day to day. We don't uh you know we have a bad day or you know feeling frustrated or angry. We need to know how to deal with that because poor mental health will lead to poor men- put to pen- mental illness eventually. Mm, mm, mm. Now this next article doctor is about adult cyberbullying. Now we know that kids suffer from being bullied, mm. but we rarely think about adults being bullied as well online, right? Do adults suffer the same like mental anguish when being cyberbullied? Well, yeah, actually cyberbullying or online harassment is a form of bullying uh, that uses electronic means. And with the expansion of technology, a person that was once weak or quiet can now become brave and bold with a keypad behind a screen. You know, it's online harassment isn't only about children. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this study entitled How Common is Cyberbullying Among Adults, it showed that almost 15% of the participants uh had been a target of cyberbullying wow it was yeah yeah it was more among younger adults 18 to 25 uh but even above 60 were not spared so there were about 6% above 60 being cyberbullied as well <gasps> okay um, celebrities are the most targeted online Um, and I think we have seen that, uh, seen what you can do to K-pop stars and you know mm-hmm. others, other celebrities. Yeah. Even actor Idris Elba, you know, I I think he's one of the best actors in my book. He announced that he's quitting social media because he found it a breeding ground for negativity, online bullying, which led him to feel depressed. Mm. So yes, adults do feel the same anguish. But is quitting, uh, let's say, social media? That means don't you let the cyber bullies win in a way? No, it is you being in control. Right. I mean, actually, uh, online is it's it's up to you really. You, the the audience doesn't determine what you put or what you you know when you want to take time Post. off. Or, yeah. it's, it's got to be you. You know, so a lot of people get onto you know online media and then think that everyone's you know sort of in. engage with them but it's you you have to decide are you wanting to engage or do mm. you feel it's a little too much now right. and if you can't make that distinction or the put those boundaries then you're just going to fall victim to whatever you know uh, excess media can actually do to you sometimes i think right these cyber bullies or these keyboard warriors right mm. why what prompts them to say such hurtful things sometimes yeah so actually according to a review the online harassment can take two primary forms which is direct cyberbullying in which you know threatening or insulting messages or images are sent directly to the intended victim yeah and then indirect or relational cyberbullying which is really about spreading rumors or demeaning the content of behind the victim's back. So cyber bullies mostly have one common trait. They generally get angry and discouraged easily and have strong personalities. Uh they connect with others aggressively and they do not care for the feelings of 
they're victims. You know, uh, both males and females engage in cyberbullying, and actually, it's been shown that sometimes females are involved more in cyberbullying than men are. Hmm. And the reason behind this is because men will usually respond maybe with physical retaliation, while women will use indirect forms such as, you know, gossiping or posting up things. Mm-hmm. 